salty so what dog I was going to say, Jesus. Uh, he's always salty and extra opinionated, so I'm not really shocked, but <laughs> whatever. If you're not getting educated about current housing market conditions, whether you're in finance, accounting, mortgages, title, and especially real estate, you're doing yourself and your client base a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast. I'm Tom Tool. I'm here with Byron Lazine and Lisa Chinati, reunited after the summer break. It feels great. And we've got a, I think this is probably the most important story in real estate. Byron, you've been talking about this for a while and it's starting to get very real. Anywhere, the parent company for Coldwell Banker and Century 21, one of the largest real estate parent companies in, in the country, they settled one of the no, both. commission lawsuits. They did both. Both. You're right. I'm sorry. They settled both. Only one's going to trial. That's my mistake. They settled both the Murrow and the Sitzer Burnett case for $83.5 the most money that could be obtained in light of their current available financial resources. Now, we don't have the details of the settlement. I think that's where the rubber's going to meet the road here. My observation, and I want to hear it from, from the two of you, is that there's other companies named in this suit. We got NAR. They're not a company. They're an organization. We've got Remax, Keller Williams, Home Services, the parent company to Berkshire Hathaway. I would imagine the other three companies, Remax, Home Services, and Keller Williams, will also settle. There have been no settlements filed yet with the court. We don't, uh, we don't know what the terms are, and the Sitzer-Burnett suit is slated to go to trial on October 16th, so within like five, five weeks here or so. This is not unexpected, but big news for real estate. So what should knowledge brokers be thinking about well, right now? My comment would be I, it was unexpected to me that somebody would, quote-unquote, break rank here, right? There, there's no cohesiveness between the brokerages and NAR. They've all been talking behind closed doors, right? We know that to be true. Mm -hmm. And for someone to go out as the lone wolf here, anywhere slash Realogy, and make a settlement before everybody else, it, it's concerning to me because that will set precedent for these other brokerages as well as NAR. And what precedent did they just set? That's what's unclear. We don't know the terms of the deal. It's not just mm -hmm. a financial deal. The, the attorney made yes. it very clear that there are business operational changes that anywhere agreed to in this settlement. We just don't know what they are. And how that's, how's that going to impact uh, everybody else going forward? What are those changes that anywhere has agreed to that will have a ripple effect throughout the industry, nobody knows as of this moment. I think the important thing to note is that I, I believe that they were all prepared to settle. I think everybody knows that this going to court would be one of the worst things to happen. I think it's partly to start to limit attorney expenses on all sides. Trials are expensive, no doubt. I suspect for changes, I think we're going to see additional disclosures coming up. I know we have all talked about this in the past, that I believe we should all be prepared to roll out additional disclosures to our seller clients and buyer clients that talk about commissions and how they impact things and what obligations exist and do not exist. Um, I also believe 
It, back when I was at Coldwell, I, did either of you guys ever work for a Realogy or anywhere yes, company? Yes, I, I was at Williams Sotheby's in Connecticut for five years. Okay, so when I was at Coldwell, one of the conditions that existed was that I was required to split a commission 50-50, that I was not able to decide to how that commission was going to be divided when I was co-broking out. And there were even different rules that I had to uphold if it was being co-broked in office. I suspect that those are gone. The days of that kind of stuff are thank, just going to be absolutely thank over. Thank the Lord on that one. Yep. I also believe. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, say. Well, that's pretty interesting because, you know, obviously I think when we, when we all take listings here, it's not always a split commission. There's not a, this is how you do Correct. it. And, you know, at, at, you know, we, we a lot more money towards marketing expenses to get the seller a better number. And we've gotten yep. major pushback from some of these traditional brands. This is unheard of. This isn't how you do things. And I've been accused of MLS violations, which are, inaccurate they they called it it's not it's not a dual and variable commission most of these people don't know that they just think it's the rule or that's what they've been told so i think that's a Correct. that's a great insight that you shared there because i've been on the other side of that and i said you might need to reread the regulations that we have to follow keep going um i also think we're going to see additional training requirements uh be placed on brokerages to provide additional training to agents i think it's going to be a long road to undo the scripting uh, that a lot of agents have historically used with this is the standard, this is the industry standard, or um, think about all of the the typical verbiage that goes into how some agents sell commission to consumers. And I think that as an industry, we need to undo years of training around that to kind of work around the antitrust stuff. I think uh, anywhere is probably going to agree to some of that. Um. I think that there's going to potentially be some other ones. It'll be some smaller stuff. Um, definitely changes not just to disclosures, but to the contracts. Um, but you don't. Yeah. So what you're saying is we're, we're going to make these disclosures. Um, you know, we're going to have some rules in place, but that there's not going to be some seismic change that happens really overnight. You're talking about training. You're talking about reframing. No how agents are positioning commission be in a lot of agents are doing it the right way now, but you know, some of them are undertrained and not doing it the right way. It, it's, it's, it's similar to right. like in Connecticut, there was this case a couple of years ago, um, the board of realtors and the DCP, uh, department of consumer protection for big businesses, not, not for small businesses, but anyways, the DCP and the board, colluded together to make a rule against teams. Hey, you got to change your name. You got to pay extra fees, all this stuff. Yep. They made this rule to go after a money grab on the big teams. Uh, you know, this was specifically aimed at my team in Connecticut and others. And, and then they, in the last year and a half or year and nine months since this rule has been made, you see hundreds of teams in that state not following the rules and they don't care because it's just like let's go make this rule nobody's policing it and what you're talking about here lisa is who's going to police it is my point moving forward yeah i i think it's going to put much more onus on the brokerages and i think the the brokerages the parent companies whatever we want to talk about you know when you look at 
you know, smaller independents like myself, right? I think that I've got to own that a little bit more and be very aware of what my agents are saying. I, I be, and I think it speaks volume that the brokerages are making the settlements. I think that by anywhere making this settlement, they're kind of saying we've got some ownership to fixing this. It, um, agents need to be going into sellers' homes, making sure it's very clear that negotiable. Uh, um, commissions are 100% negotiable. I'm applying for a job. It's your yep. option what you're going to pay me. Here's how this works. And and so that needs to be very clear. Lisa, as a broker owner, what's the scripting that you're training right now agents to use and what should knowledge brokers be using when they get into the living room? Yeah, well, I think it's super important. Like I said, I think some of the big ones that we look at are um, eliminating the word mm -hmm. required. I think it's eliminating the word standard, that there is an industry standard to what compensation is. I think it's being super clear that uh, sellers yes. have options and they've got choices. I think we've also got to be very, very cognizant. Uh, I've heard it you know, over the years that if you don't offer out X percentage to buyer agents, agents aren't going to show your house. And I think we've Can't got to be that. very careful about that. I yeah. cannot say that, right? And But I think it's going to require a shift. I, the interesting thing is that kind of like we've been talking about for the past couple of months as this has kind of progressed through, it is going to be a shift both for the buyer agent and for the seller's agents and going to be super important that there's much more training, both on sales skills, both on industry practices and the legalities that I think we we lost sight of. Um, I think being able to have buyer agents articulate their value proposition and their compensation up front. We do it on the rental side a lot, at least up here, where uh, an early conversation with a person looking to rent an apartment is, I'm going to show you this apartment. There is no compensation offered on the other side. And that for my services, I'm going to be due X when you sign a lease. I think it's going to be super important that we move away from the um, the old phrasing that it's free oh, to a buyer I've always said to it use a buyer time. agent. One of the worst yeah, things. I mean, say. that's yep. What's and, free is for sale by owner, and I'm I love when listing agents go in to a listing pitch and a presentation with sellers and say, to your point, here are all the options, and one of them is going onto Zillow and capturing about 70% of eyeballs for absolutely free, your sweat equity, here's some of the charges you might incur. And then here's what we're going to do to take all that work off of your plate if you're interested in hiring us to handle those services for you. Now you actually bring, you showcase your value when you go from here's everything that we're gonna do or you can do on your own Here's what we're going to do. And by the way, here's how we capture another 30% of eyeballs to maximize price and exceed the fee that we're charging you based on the value we're providing. Right. Yep. hundred percent. I think that's just going to become even more important or absolutely critical as we continue to navigate these changes. I think one of the benefits to the settlement, if you want my full honest opinion is keeping it out of uh, the courtroom, I think keeps the publicity outside of the industry a little bit more subdued. Um, while 
all of the industry news sources are reporting about the settlement. I haven't really seen it in national news and places where consumers are looking. Now, mind you, I haven't really logged on in the past. A little bit, but you're right. But I think if it had if it had gone to trial, I think we would have been looking at much more front page news and stuff that consumers would have, it would have been in the faces of That's consumers. Right. And so I think that there was a little bit of strategy to making the settlement before it got to that point as well. I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. I just, I don't know why anywhere is, is so far ahead of the pack. That's what's confusing to me. And NARS, you know, public comments are that we're going to fight this and win it. Now that could be you know, some posturing there from their attorneys. Yeah, but that's what they're saying right now. And so it it feels publicly anyways, like there's a big disconnect. And uh, I did, Tom, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned um, the attorney on the other side said about anywhere. It's like, this is all they could afford because they're at 3 billion in debt was the 80. So we got all of it, but we have more money coming. The biggest number is going to be what NAR pays. They, They have a billion in assets. And uh, they're going to take a chunk out of that. You know, I, I, you know so I talked to my uh, – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lisa. No, go. You go. So I, I talked to uh, my father, who was one of the original REMAX broker owners. You know, and and he's, he's, been in, he's been in real estate for a while. And we, we have a brokerage meeting coming up, and he asked me to talk about this. And I think there's a lot of stuff we're going to get into about what agents should be doing in light of this shortly. What he said to me was very interesting is that, you know, you have the people named in the suit. You got Home Services, Keller Williams, and Remax are the, are the three left standing. Forget NAR for a second. The, Keller Williams and Home Services, they're all brokerages. Uh, Remax is a network, and I think that's going to maybe cha- change how this plays out because they're not really the, – they're, they're a franchise model. So that could very well be one of the reasons why one of these companies hasn't settled yet. I still think they're on the hook. I don't, I didn't totally agree with them, but – these companies are all set up a little differently and, and real Although well, they're pretty fragmented though, Tom, big, I mean, you got all brokers. those different brands. Well, well they, they are, but you know, Coldwell bankers, a brokerage, right? You got, but I mean, you got corporate to deal with there a franchises and company. So, so anywhere is kind of a mess in, in the sure, way that they right. have a whole bunch of brands. Maybe that's why they settled. That's my point is that these companies are all just like the three of us. Our businesses are all yep. set up differently just because they're the big names. There's probably something going on in the inner workings. And I, I tend to agree with you, Byron. I think it was, they, that's all the money they had. They had to give it to them. I, I got to drop off part. after this because I got this um, thing here in Austin, but I'll, I'll leave you guys to it. I guess I'll leave it at this. I would have loved to have seen NAR been a, being a leader, which they rarely have ever shown the ability to do, in being the first settlement. Set the actual precedent that protects buyers in this country and protects buyer agencies. NAR is just sitting back and the brokerages are forced to lead and one of them anywhere being a lone wolf. I hate that for the industry. It's another black mark against NAR. They love stacking them up. I guess that's what they do best. I got to run, guys. I'll uh, I'll listen to the rest of the pod, Lisa, because that's what I do when I'm not on. I actually listen to the rest of Knowledge Brokers podcast. All right. See you guys. Are you tired of taking horrible courses offered by your local Realtor board or the NAR online classes? I know I am. And the fact is you don't get a lot of value from those courses. So here's the good news. BAMX, your real estate edutainment platform is here. You can find out how to master objections with me, the objection handling king, practiced and scripted for over 20 years. You can learn how to use ManyChat 
with the broke agent and Jill from BAM. You can work with Lisa Chinati about managing your CRM, understand how to use Canva for marketing, get Instagram hacks. All this stuff is right there in BAMX. Just use the code knowledgebrokers, educate yourself, grow your business, sell more houses. Uh, so what I was going to say, Jesus. Uh, he's always salty and extra opinionated, so I'm not really shocked, but <laughs> whatever. I, to kind of tie into that, I think one of the fascinating things was, did you did you listen to the pod last week, Tom? I did not. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I did. So I, I did, <laughs> I I did see your... I, I did see your highlights. I, I thought you had some great points about, you know, I, I got the I got the cliff notes and I thought okay. you had some great points about NAR that they really don't do a whole lot for us. And and they're kind nope. of like the mob and more like the storefront in northern Jersey that Tony Soprano and Christopher come into and they say, hey, where's the protection money? So yep. I, I, I tend to agree with your your view on this and his because, you know, they they fought for that. I mean, you know, my, I, I bring up my dad because. He was, he's been doing this since 1978. So he saw before buyer agency and after buyer agency. That's an interesting perspective. And they fought for this, but there was a way things were done before that seemed to be okay. And right. now they're going back on it. And the question is, how does Bob Goldberg and how does NAR, like you fight, you fight for this back in the nineties. Now it's like, oh, we're going to, we're going to change our mind 33 years later or whatever the, I think that's the right math. And I, 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 I want to hear what you have to say about this, Lisa, because I just don't, they're just, they're just, they're collecting a check right now. I don't see them. This is the biggest case that real estate has ever seen from an NAR perspective and they're doing nothing. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. So what I was going to say is I, and it, I know the three of us often joke about it, but I keep a very kind of middle of the road public stance on most topics. And I think last week was the first time that I've ever really taken a hard stance one way or another on something that can be a very heated topic, right? I think that there's strong feelings on both sides about NAR and people either love it or hate it. And I think my stance has been the, the not so much love it side for many years, but that hasn't always been shared. And I've taken some heat in my local market for that stance. And it was interesting because when that um, highlight got posted last week, and I was watching all of the engagement on it and reading some of the comments. I think one of the things that jumped out at me is despite the fact that, I mean, I don't know, what's the what's the percentage of agents in the U.S. that are affiliated with NAR? Do you, do you know? I'll find out here. Keep going. Um, uh, my gut says that the percentage of licensed real estate agents that are affiliated with NAR is greater than 85%. I could be off on that statistic, but I'm going to guess, like even looking in Massachusetts where it's optional, I tend to be one of the outliers where we're not a realtor office. Mm -hmm. and, I, I would agree with that. It's very unusual here. Right. And so it was interesting to me reading all of the comments and kind of engaging with some of the private messages that I received about that, that there's a good chunk of folks who are affiliated with NAR who wish that they weren't. And they're in that because they're forced to through their brokerage. And I think one of the things that's going to come into light, maybe kind of through some of this is, I think if you look at the vast majority of real estate agents, I don't think they believe in NAR anymore. And I wonder if some of this, what's shaking out is that, do we start to see some of the bigger executives and some of the bigger companies starting to step up and saying, wait a minute, 
we don't think NAR is actually beneficial to us as large corporations, and maybe they're not actually protecting our agents like they've claimed to. And do we start to see a seismic shift with how we perceive NAR as an industry? I don't know. I hope so, because I, I like I said, I have, this is one I have strong feelings on. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you look at the the education that they put out, right? And you, and you go to your local board, maybe you want to get take some classes there. You want to get better. Those classes yeah. compared to anything you can get from coaching or talking to someone like you or me, they don't tell you how to drive your business. And that's what most agents Absolutely tend to, not. T- they, they want to be entrepreneurial, right? They want to sell more houses. They want to help more people. At least the, the, the ones that stick in the industry after five years, the 13% yep. that really are the, I would call the core members of, of, of real estate agents across the country. So that that's one issue. I do see value in their dispute resolution. I think that that is one component that actually does help. It keeps things out of court, whether it's mediation and whether it's between agents or it's between uh, consumers. I, I do see value in that. That can be replaced. That's not a hard thing to do. You could do that easily on the local level. The state real estate commissions could come up with something for that for each state. That I don't think that's a hard thing to replace. When I look at NAR and I look at some of the things I've heard that come out of there. I mean, they're dealing with this massive, you know, sexual uh, assault and, and harassment, alleged, all alleged um, case. You know, th- this is what they should be talking about. They spent that $46 million on that marketing campaign. I heard a real estate commercial, an NAR commercial on the radio on the way in here today, and it was garbage. I mean, I could have written a better commercial myself and put it on. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane to me. That's where the money's going. And you look at the year real estate agents are having, the last thing they feel like doing is paying that NAR fee. And that's where, and the electronic lockbox, we have half the agents. We have, we have four counties we serve, five counties really, but there's two counties that just never, they don't even want to pay the money to use the lockbox, right? So then they want to, and our office is located right on the border of Chester and Delaware counties. They want to come show a home in Chester County. I used to, I thought electronic lockboxes were really secure and we would explain it to people. Well, guess what? Half the agents coming to show the place, hey, I didn't pay for the keypad. Can you come let yep. me in? So now I've got more work to do by using by paying for something, and now my time's getting sucked up, and we, we just, we've, we've gotten rid of it. We use combination lock boxes. We put a unique combination on every house. So we don't have any issues. It's all secure. But like the, the things they're doing aren't helpful. It just creates more work for people that are trying to sell a lot of houses. So I, I think Byron's got some great points here that NAR, I'd love to see him leading this. I don't know that they're capable with their current leadership structure. That's been proven to be the case, given what they're, the focus for them is right now is keeping their jobs, not fighting the biggest piece of real estate disruption that we've seen as long as I've been in the business. And I'd imagine as long as you've been in the business. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Same thing with lockboxes here. I think um, it. Same thing with education and not to be stereotypical, but I look at, again, the content that our uh, local board puts out. One of the comments that I got on that video was if you see a problem, step up and, you know, try to be a part of the change. And I'll share quite candidly uh, that Jason and I were part of the local education committee for almost three years where we were going in and trying to bring change, but the board it's tough to change old standing ways and uh, bringing in new and innovative ideas and kind of changing industry norms isn't typically what uh, is viewed as a positive. And the other side of it, scarcity mindset. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was always kind of some pushback that the only reason we were sharing or trying to bring these ideas was a recruiting ploy. 
not understanding that I truly believe if we can all help each other level up and create value, kind of prevent some of this stuff, right? If we're all working together, leveling up the standards, being more professional, creating better consumer experiences, I don't know, strong feelings, like I said. I had the same experience with a couple of real estate schools here where I offered to do a business planning class for new agents because nobody teaches business planning. It's one of the biggest gaps in the real estate industry. I mean, some people, what, what do you mean a business plan? And, and they have, they have right. no idea. And uh, the, the response I got is we have an anti-recruiting policy. And I said, okay, well, you guys don't get it. I mean, I talk to agents all the time and it's, you know, it's, just, it's this, literally the same, same reaction. Here's a list of classes they're offering right now at our local board. I want to see if you're going to get any value out of these. Um, so here's the, the, the insider's guide to commercial real estate. I don't think it's going to help a lot of residential real estate agents. Um, here's another one. The power of 1031 exchanges. How many times have you done a 1031 exchange in a real estate transaction? I've done five nice. in 21 years, right? That's a whole class. There are all five. And this is thousands of home sales. A deeper understanding of FHA and VA loan programs. I see some value with that to a certain extent. You could probably get a lender to do that. Okay, I, I, I could see that. How does your CMA or BPO compare to the appraisal? Like, I, I don't see how this is helping anybody sell more houses. I mean, this is stuff that you have to navigate later. And it, I mean, you could go on and on, like here, mold education. Um, I mean, it's it's the, the same thing over and over. Um, and then there's, there's some good stuff in here, like helping a homeowner short sale their property. Not a common thing, but if you know how to do that, you can really bring some value to homeowners. So I like that one. This is the challenge. Like there's, it's, it's kind of hit or miss and they, they don't really, I feel like when you're selling a lot of real estate, they don't always like your opinion. And it's it, 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 because there's, they're, they're looking at you as the competition instead of trying to make the industry better. We could talk about this all day. I, I want to go somewhere next here about so we had, I know you have a team meeting coming up, like literally right after this, we had our monthly team meeting yesterday, and this is something we talked about and how should agents, how should knowledge brokers be ready for this? So the additional paperwork and disclosures, I'm clear that's an easy fix. You have to read them, understand them, know what they say, but how you approach your business, your appointment, your conversations, you got into it. What should people be prepping for right now? And what are some of the pivots that knowledge brokers should be ready to make? Because there is going to be some change here. I don't think there's any question. If you're looking to level up your business, scale it out, be able to manage more clients, have a bigger pipeline, you're going to need a reliable CRM. And as a Boomtown user since 2016, we've got some exciting news that KV Core and Boomtown are now part of the same family. And that means they've come together. They're using all their knowledge, all their tech, and they're making an even better CRM that's going to help you scale your business, sell more houses, talk to more people, and manage your leads more efficiently. And if you're like Lisa, she's in her CRM every week. She's in her CRM every day. I think that's what she does in her free time. And she's constantly looking at it to make sure that the opportunities aren't slipping through the cracks. That's what a great knowledge broker does. So if you want to get your business to another level, Lean into Boomtown. Visit boomtownroi.com slash knowledgebrokers for more information. Again, it's boomtownroi.com slash knowledgebrokers. I'm a boomer since 2016. It's leveled my business up tremendously. Lisa loves her CRM. Byron does too. You should do the same. Get with Boomtown. Yeah, totally. But I, I think we've said it over and over. I think if you're not understanding buyer consults and how to get buyer agency contracts signed, ensuring your compensation, not writing per MLS. I think that that is absolutely step number one. Mm -hmm. I think, again, going back to really finessing your scripting on the listing side and being able to understand 
some of that stuff. And I think being able to script through with buyers when compensation won't be offered and then understanding what the options are to ensure compensation when those things don't happen. I think as an industry, we need to be prepared. I think like any other big change, I think that there are going to be some, shall we say, opportunistic folks that pop up and start doing uh, flat fee stuff, kind of like the equivalent of the MLS only entries for yep. um, sellers. I think we're going to start to see some of that on the buy side where it's pay me per showing, pay me per contract, right? And I think that those are going to become a little bit more present. I don't, to be clear, I do not think that that model will win long-term, but I do believe that as agents, we need to know how to understand it, how to script around it and sell our value and what we bring to the table outside of those kind of services. I don't know. I, I think this is one where I've got to give it a little bit more thought. So I, I took a I took a different approach to this because I okay. look at, I always I like looking at other industries and seeing how they've dealt with this because real estate is one of the last major business industries to be disrupted. I mean, you, it you look is at, the most antiquated industry. That I say yeah. that all the time from start to finish, we are antiquated. Yes, I mean, the, I, like that's a whole other conversation. I talk about this with Brian, our sales manager. He's got an automotive background. He says the tech here is all fragmented. We got one system we use for all the auto. It's like wow, that would be so nice. But any, anyway. Right. I look at the legal industry. I look at accounting, right? So TurboTax, LegalZoom, these are things that exist. And they're always going to, and it's to your point about the discount yep. brokerage or the flat fee or whatever you're going to call it, there's going to be a, a, a client that wants that. And a lot of times, those are the people that have mistakes made in their tax returns, get in trouble legally because their documents aren't prepped right. Sometimes you can get your way through it. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's 100% right or wrong. I see that as being very similar to what we're dealing with because we've all dealt with bad attorneys, bad accountants, bad real estate agents. And there's, I'm clear we're going to see some people just exit the industry entirely because they're the, the days of expecting compensation for showing the home are over. Oh, I showed that home. I'm entitled. I'm procure. I hear this all the time. And well, unless you take them to agreement, you really don't have a case. And if, if you really want to get into the legalities of it. So I see this as an opportunity for agents that really want to commit to their business and be able to communicate their value. Hey, Mr. Buyer, here's the current climate right now. And I'm going to show you how we can navigate all this because look, a buyer's agent that can win a property right now is a valuable commodity. A listing agent that can get the home sold in a, in a tougher market or can sell a property another agent can't is a valuable commodity. And people t are willing to pay for proper service. I think what's going to happen is that there's sometimes these people, they see a house and they're buying the house no matter who they talk to. That's going to yep. be the folks that you're going to have to do a little more work. And it's going to be about relationship building more than anything else. Because if you've got a trusted accountant, a trusted attorney, I mean, I call my accountant for everything because I trust him. I know he's got his stuff together. Same thing with, with my attorney because I don't, I don't need to do the research on my own. I don't need to outthink those things, but I believe in them. If you don't believe in your agent and you don't have a relationship, that's where these folks that are, and I, I think a lot of people on, on teams should be aware of this, that you can't just catch, catch a new lead every time to find a new client. You're going to have to work to nurture these people. And that's going to be the biggest change, but it's also how the business was 20, 30 years ago. And yep. the flip side of this is that there's still opportunity. I mean, have you ever sold a for sale by owner on the buy side, Lisa? All the time. 
Right. And so what I've done, I imagine you did the same thing is you write into the contract how you're going to get compensated. And that's a term in the agreement that the seller had to agree to and letting the buyer know up front to your point, this is what's going to happen. You're going to see more of that happening and agents that know how to present that, how to write the contract properly and don't just throw their arms up in the air, but are ready to actually do some work. They're going to be the ones that take market share right now. So I see this as an opportunity for the industry. I'm not thrilled with the way the the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, are handling it. But a, a recommitment to client consultations and servicing the client are going to be the people that win when when whatever changes come into play, whatever this settlement says, those are going to be, be the people that win and take market share, no question. I I agree wholeheartedly. It, I, watching the stats and kind of, I, you and I know we're in kind of like recruiting season, right? Having lots of conversations mm-hmm. around that. The most interesting conversations that I have are with those agents that are selling four to six homes a year. And I think that that's where we're struggling the most. I think we've said this in the past as well. The part-time agents that are selling one or two homes a year are always going to be part-time agents selling one or two homes a year. And Mm -hmm. where they're going to be taking market share and where they're going to be taking opportunity is from those, those folks stuck in that nasty middle spot where they're selling that four, five, six, maybe even seven homes a year. Um, and that's where the biggest opportunity is going to come. It's where we've got to spend the most time educating and supporting as an industry, those folks that want to have the full-time career, but need the skills and need some extra supports and training in order to navigate this successfully. Fair? Yeah. And I, I would even say that the, the teams in the middle are in a little bit of a, a scary spot now too, because some of these people don't have the right training and leadership structures in place. Um, and it, you know, if you've got, 15, 20 agents, let's say, right? That's, it's a lot of agents, but if you're not, you don't have your arms around how to educate all these people and help them with that, then they're going to go out and they're going to say things like, oh, don't worry. It's free to use me. Right? Like these things that make us cringe, right. you hear it all the time. So, and you know, that, that as a reminder, that was part of the DOJ settlement with NAR a while back before it got overturned. That was one of the terms in that. So, and I, I hear if your training cadence is not right as an organization, whether you're a brokerage, a team, whatever, and you've got agents coming on and they're just saying whatever, or they're trying to sell on personality instead of understanding the ins and outs of the transaction. You know, I mean, you've probably seen this. You're like, how is that person selling any houses in your office? And they're, t- they're a total, total, you know, uh, numbskull. I was cleaning that up there. I was going to say yep. a couple other things. Um, and, and you're just wondering, <laughs> like, how is this person doing it? It's because they're relatable and personable. That's going to be a little tougher for those people because there's going to be more questions. And Questions are okay if you know how to handle them. It's just like people are going to say this is an objection. An objection's a gift, right? It's a question yep. because someone wants to do business with Lisa Chinati. It's a clarification point because someone wants to do business with Tom Tool. That's what an objection really is. And you've got to be able to answer those and have the answer locked down, clear and concise, and know exactly what to say. Because you're going to get the same ones over and over and over again. So instead of 10 objections, now there might be like 13 with this new lawsuit, if you follow what I'm saying. So you've got to be ready for this. But real estate was sold before buyer agency. I mean, you were a subagent for the seller in Pennsylvania. You could still get paid. And it's important to explain how those contracts work. So I, I think there's, there's a lot to chew on here. There's also a lot of opportunity for people that really want to commit to building a business and a career. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, so we belabored this point, Lisa. I think people are probably sick of us talking about this right now. There'll be more to come. There's also some market news this week. You and I were texting last night prepping for the show before Byron decided to grace us with his presence this morning for about eight minutes. 
And what we've seen economically, and there's been a lot of economic data coming out. You saw the jobs report last week where unemployment went up to 3.8%. Well, now we saw that mortgage demand fell to the lowest level since 1996. We've seen rates kind of settle into that seven to seven and a half range. They keep ping-ponging back and forth is what I've been seeing all week. Yep. And probably most exciting, I'm going to send this to um, the, the production team here, new listings ticked up for the first time in August over the past seven years. And that to me is probably, I'd be shouting that from the rooftops if I'm a knowledge broker. I'd be telling all the clients that said there's nothing for sale. Hey, here's this chart. Steve Harney put out a great tweet. All right, I guess it's an X now. I don't know what to call these things anymore now that they changed the name. Dude, this is real. really, I, it, we're going to call it a tweet. Um, and, uh, but you have all these things happening in the market right now. So mortgage demand's falling. Rates are kind of settling in. And now inventory's up. What does this mean? What are you telling people both on the consumer side, within your team, and just within the industry? So, well, a few things. This is oh, I love this. This is now where I get super excited. Um, so some really interesting stuff. You're 100% right. Inventory climbed up. Uh, looking at new listings this week, this is one of the highest weeks of new listings that we've seen across the state of Massachusetts all year. Uh, this week, we are at 1683 for new listings. If I look right now, we had been running at an average between like 1200 and 1500 in the peak of the market. So to see us hitting close to 1700 in what is, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, our shoulder season, that weird fall market that's in between the spring summer market and the winter market <clears throat> is super exciting. I think that there's also really, really huge opportunity. Um, and here's, here's why. So I think that if we can educate consumers about what's going to happen, I actually spoke to my team about this the other day. I don't know if I've mentioned it to you. Um, I suspect we're going to see some really big changes take shape in the next 18 to 24 months in the market. So the first is, I think that the folks that buy now are going to have huge opportunity. A lot of the forecasts that I've seen have said that they believe when rates hit that five and a half, six and a half, somewhere in that you know area, that we're going to see home price appreciation hit double digits again, which is crazy to think about. So for savvy buyers, I know you and I talked about how this kind of compares to 2020 with those that had the ability to take some risk and invest in the very early days of COVID, they stood to make a lot of money, whether they kept that property short term or long term. I think one of the other things that I'm predicting that I think agents need to start to keep an eye on, I think we're going to see a shift in how long consumers own their homes and where mm. potential listings are going to come from as we head into 2024 and 2025 at that two year mark. I think we're going to see that those that bought their homes before 2021 or 2021 and before I think we're going to see the length of ownership jump up. I think that they're going to stay in those homes much longer. I think what we're going to see is that those folks who bought their homes in 2022 and 2023, I think we're going to see them sell in much, much shorter timeframes. I think we're going to see them sell in two years to four years, as opposed to that three to seven year mark. And that that's where a lot of opportunity comes from next year to start finding inventories, those that bought in 22. I actually agree with you on the length of, of um, ownership, because when you when you look at that, right, I mean, the lock in effect is real. Yep. Also, people moved up their moving time frame in 2020 and 2021. There was a lot of people that were opportunistic with the market. So that's going to be maybe, maybe we were thinking. 
we were thinking about moving in five years and this is just too good to be true right now. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on this or I found this amazing sale. So I, I do agree with that. I like that. And I, I, I think you hit on, I mean, we talk about this all the time about listings and it's when this stuff happens, right? I mean, 7% is not going away, even though those eight predictions are that they're going to, I'm still skeptical about 6% by the end of the year. I, I mean, it'd be nice. I don't know if it's going to happen. No way. It doesn't so happen. I, I, I'm with you. And predictions are always wrong, by the way. I mean, Lance Lambert said it himself, and he's the one who wrote the article on this pod. So when I see all this stuff happen, you're going to have to really start to hunt for listing opportunities. And I think there's going to be a more strategic way to look at it. You know, Tom Ferry talks about the D's all the time. That's very real. In addition to that, people just aren't going to be moving. I mean, it's going to have to be like a, like a serious situation. And it was a lot like this in that you know, that 2010 to 2012 range, because it was people, you had to find people that were really motivated. And it's funny how these things we learned 10, 15 years ago, then the market gets hot and you kind of get lazy. It all, it all comes back to those basic principles. And it's easy to do the things in this business that you know are going to make you successful. It's also easy not to do them. It's easy to understand this, but it's easy to not do them at all. So I think that's a fascinating point. And I, you know, agents just have to understand these are the knowledge brokers out there realize these are market conditions and these conditions aren't changing and there's nothing you can do about them. You can just run your business and pivot in reaction or proactively with these current market conditions. Agreed without a doubt. All right, Lisa, I think we've said it all in this pot. I know you got a meeting to go to here. I do Um, have to bail. Let's go get that knowledge. Slay it.